0: Hi, my name is Scott Barber, and welcome to the Landscape Ontario podcast. This is a new series from Landscape Ontario Horticultural Trades Association, and it's a new way for us to examine important topics and talk with interesting people. Today, we'll be speaking with Tara Zupincich. She's a public health scientist and writer who specializes in environmental health and health equity. Tara is the founder and director of Habitus Research, and she's the co-founder of the Center for Environmental Health Equity at Queen's University. Tara holds a Master of Public Health from the University of Toronto's Faculty of Medicine, and she currently lives in Caledon, Ontario. She joined me at the LO office in Milton to discuss some of the research she's been a big part of, which demonstrates something I think that a lot of us know intuitively, which is that nature and green spaces are good for us. But what's really important about Tara's work is that she's been able to use a public health lens and her academic background to really demonstrate that point. For example, Tara was the principal investigator and author of a really important report called Green City, Why Nature Matters to Health. It was published in 2015 and it was prepared for Toronto Public Health and it ultimately led the City's Board of Health to call on the City Council and the Mayor of Toronto to increase the amount of quality green space in the city. Tara's doing really important work. She's a wealth of knowledge and she has some really cool information I think is really valuable for horticulture professionals, both in terms of when you're talking to homeowners and clients about the value of what you do, but also from an industry-wide perspective when we look at the story we're going to tell to young people who are pursuing careers in landscaping and horticulture and about how uh, the work that we do is so valuable um, for our communities and our cities and, and for people in our health. So I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. It's coming up right now. The Landscape Ontario podcast is sponsored by Dynascape Software. LO members save 15% on Dynascape products, software upgrades, and online training. Visit dynescape.com for details. Hi Tara, thanks so much for being with us today. It's really great to have you here at the LO office uh, to speak about uh, some of the research that you've been a part of which examines the connection between green spaces and nature with human health. First, I'd like to start with just how you became interested in these topics.
1: So I was one of those typical kids that uh, would spend a lot of time in nature. And, you know, there's research that supports that, that your early childhood uh, spending time in nature influences your interests uh, as an adult and how you feel and how you care about the environment. So I definitely was one of those statistics. Uh, But I mostly was interested in focusing on children's health. Uh, but then, when I started university, that's when I had a chance to read Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, Our Stolen Future by Theo Colburn, Having Faith by Sandra Steingraber, and all of these really looked at the intimate relationship between the environment and our health, and really underlined uh, that the sort of illusion of the environment out there and us is, is just that it's an illusion. Um, And I was hooked from that moment on, it sort of put together my passion for children's health with the environment. And from that moment on, I continued to study in public health, focusing on environmental health.
0: Fantastic. And could you take us through just a little bit of an overview of some of the most um, significant benefits that green spaces have on human health, and sort of what you've learned over the years? Maybe just start on a Sort of bird's eye view on on some of the major things that you've learned?
1: Sure yeah I, I could really talk for hours about this. Um, the research over the past 10 years on this topic has exploded. In the past five years alone there's been at least seven scientific uh, systematic reviews which is you know they look at the past 10 or 20 years of research. Um, the most significant one uh, I would say was um authored by James and colleagues from Harvard University, and that was in 2015. And even then, that is considered out of date, actually, because there's been so much um, published since then. Um, So at a a very high level, what we know is that um, time in nature or spending time in green spaces uh, provides immense support to mental health. So there's very strong associations between time in nature and reduced risks of depression, anxiety, Um, So, for example, the study out of Stanford University in 2015 showed that a 90-minute walk in nature actually shifted brain activity. So the brain scans would show that um, it would shift brain activity away from rumination. And that's the part of the brain that cycles over and over again in negative thought patterns, and it's a risk factor for depression and anxiety. Um, and they had another group who took a walk in an urban setting and didn't ha- uh, the brain scans didn't show that shift, that effect. So that's important because it's not just about the physical activity. So it's not the physical activity uh, that seems to be causing this shift. It's something about the connection with nature. So that's just one example. Um, the link between mental health and time in nature um, has it appears to be strongest in children which is really important. Um, So we know that more time in nature improves sleep. Um, It's associated with reduced stress hormone production, um, a better ability for children to concentrate and focus and learn. Some of the most interesting research has been around ADHD and the impact of nature. And um, what's really interesting about that body of research is that since 2001, almost every study published Um, has shown that time in nature for children either showed a significant um, reduction in ADHD symptoms or a significant improvement in their ability to concentrate and learn. And they also found that uh, with the study in Stanford that the 90-minute walk in nature improved the adult's working memory. So we know that it can uh, potentially help with our ability to learn, improve sleep, mental health, Then of course there is the influence on physical activity, we know that children in a natural setting, they move their bodies more, they move differently, they're more active, they're more creative. Um, We also know that it helps children, um, it improves their social development. Children in a natural setting play much differently than they do in more of a structured setting, it's less competitive, Um, so it's supportive for building relationships. And then lastly, like I said, I could talk for two hours about this. Lastly, uh, there's an amazing um, uh, body of research growing about the influence of nature on the immune system, and that's an area that I'm particularly fascinated with. We know that um, one of the largest studies ever done on nature and health, so they looked at over 350,000 people and found that people living in um, greener environments had a lower incidence of numerous um, major chronic diseases. Um, and we also know, have you heard of forest bathing or, uh, I think I have. Yeah. Is that a Japanese yes. kind of cultural? Yeah, yeah. So when I first heard this, I I thought bait, taking a bath in a forest, like that's what I thought, and I thought that actually sounds lovely, um, <laughs> but uh, that's not what it is. So so forest bathing is sort of a metaphor that you go into a forest and you immerse yourself in the nature that are, that surrounds you. But there's a an incredible study that came out in uh, 2010, I believe, um, in Japan, where they found that by taking a two-hour walk in the forest two days in a row increased natural killer cell um, number and activity by over 50 percent. So natural kill- killer cells um, are known for they're the cells that like to attack cancer cells and so not only did it increase the number and the activity of the natural killer cells but the increase was significant even 30 days later so after you'd, you know, leave the forest and go back home so, um, there's still a lot of research that needs to be done in this area, but it's, um, it really is, uh, um, very important. And that may be part of the reason that, um, there's this association between, um, incidents of chronic disease and exposure to green space. We don't know. Yeah, but so there's
0: more work to be done. Yeah, more done. work to be done. So there's actually, but we're seeing the research is showing there's, there's actually a, a physiological uh, mm-hmm. response. Do we know, um, what do we know about what, what it is about nature and plants? That has this impact on, on people?
1: Yeah so there's a lot of different theories so you know at this point the state of the research shows these uh, associations um, and the, it's the consistency of the evidence different studies you know they've done um, you know studies with small groups and then they've um, so for example in Scotland there's the um, uh, the National Health Survey where they track the health of um, all of residents in, in Scotland and they have um, looked at the relationship between time and nature and um, mental health. And so they find that, that you know, whether you're looking at a small study with a small group of people or you're looking at a large population like that, there's there seems to be a lot of consistency in the findings and that there's even a dose-response relationship. So the more time you spend in nature, the greater the benefits. As to the reasons why, that's where we're headed. That's where, where we need to go. And there's a lot of theories about it. Um, and my own personal opinion and bias is that it's never, you know, we live in this culture where we always want the silver bullet, the one answer. And I think it's a number of things happening. You know, our immune system is boosted. We are, our DNA is, uh, you know, evolved over time. We are meant to be outside. You know, if you look at the evolution of of human beings, um, the time that we've spent indoors especially now you know with 80 percent of canadians living in cities is is really a blink of an eye relative to how much time so our ancient dna wants to be outside so that's what i say the reason is um is that's that's where we have adapted and so there's so much of our body from our immune system to our brain function that feels better in nature yeah, absolutely yeah.
0: and when you talk about you talked about forest bathing so obviously forests and when you talk about nature and green spaces what are the types of environments, particularly when we talk about urban settings or cities where so many people live, um, what are the types of spaces that have these benefits?
1: Yeah, so it, it, it depends on what you know benefits we're talking about. So, for example, if we're talking about um, the benefits that trees provide in terms of regulating climate, air temperature reduction, filtering pollution... Then you're looking at what's really important, and this is looking at a city level. What you want is a diversity of tree species. That's really important, especially, um, be, especially in, a, in a climate like Canada, where you have um, spring and fall, winter and summer, and different species function differently. So, for example, um, the deciduous trees are essential in the summer, obviously, for providing shade, for evapotranspiration and cooling. Um, we also know the conifer trees are better at capturing particulate matter. Um, and then also with the extreme heat waves, you also want a diversity of plants that can, um, re- you know, that can adapt to the heat, can adapt to the cold, so uh, diversity improves the resilience. So what you want is um, pockets of nature throughout the city that are connected. The connectivity makes a big difference in terms of cooling the air and cleaning the air. So that's at a high level. On a more local level, where we're talking about personal health, um, you know, boost to your immune system and your mental health, Uh, if we're talking about a city setting, what you're really looking for is what I call pocket nature, nearby nature. There's some really interesting research that for people, um, you don't even have to sit and spend time in it, but just on your daily commute, if you're walking out the door, just to have a small pocket of nature that you look at can actually provide benefits. So um, it's, it's really important to think of a number of different things in these spaces, so you want it to be attractive, um, but not necessarily ornamental, and that's, that's the big difference. It needs to be, I call them nature traps, where um, ideally if you only even have a small pocket of space, um, you want to maybe put two chairs down. With a tree, with some maybe more native plants to attract pollinators and to attract, um, you know, that's a big part of it. You know, birds, bees, things that are attracted into that space. Um, So it's inviting, and it invites people to want to stop and to stay. And uh, so that that is really important. Uh, um, A lot of people think that, especially in the city, if you don't have much space, there's not a lot you can do. But there really is. There really is, particularly making a space to sit and stay in that space, yeah. And when you say,
0: um, what does it look like when you say, um, when it's connected? Um, like specifically, what, could you give some examples of what that looks like in uh, in a city when, when the green spaces have that connectivity that you mentioned?
1: Yeah, so I mean, that's really, you know, so now we're talking about urban planning. Um, so we're talking about the links between, from park to park, green corridors, walking spaces, places that are safe to bike. Um, so what you want is, you know, you could imagine, you know, ideally you have a park space and then you have either a roadway um, or a bike lane that is surrounded by trees so that if you are taking an aerial view of the city, what you see are rivers of green rather than pockets of it. So, and that's not not to confuse that with pocket nature, which is just having little bits of nature um, in the fronts and backyards. Um, But so when you look at an aerial view, what you want to see in a city ideally is minimum 40% tree cover, and you want to see rivers of green that are all connected, and what that does um, is the, the the connectivity also improves air circulation for the entire city. So when you see a leaf waving in the wind, you in a way you have to start thinking of them as, as hundreds of thousands of fans waving in the wind, and they're actually pushing the air through the city, so they're absorbing particulate matter and pollution, they're pushing fresh air through the city, they're cooling the city, um, and Last but not least, by creating spaces like that, you've created a setting that's that people enjoy being in, you know, so that when they move to park, to street, to park, they might want to take their bike or they might want to walk instead of hopping in their car because it's a very welcoming space and it's a place to be. So even if people don't have time to spend um, in nature, forest bathing, um, <laughs> as much as we all want to, um, if you can create a space that uh, your commute to work is surrounded by green. That in and of itself is beneficial to mental health, but it's also beneficial to the city as a whole, the whole city's health. Not to mention, I mean, we haven't even got into what that can do for... Um, climate regulation, dealing with the heat waves from climate change, dealing with uh, flood prevention, you know, it just goes on and on. Yeah, and that's yeah. actually,
0: that's definitely where I'd like to go in terms of the heat aspect, mm-hmm. which uh, we know is having such a big impact on, on health in, in urban settings. And what what role do green spaces and, and nature and, and parks and, and that connected green space that you mentioned have in mitigating that? urban heat effect
1: yeah it's it's a huge problem and trees and green space have so much to offer and i would love to see big changes i mean we're seeing big changes but i'd love to see more so heat you know i can't understate it, it it's a killer and we know that that what as we're, we're seeing every summer after summer these extreme heat waves you're seeing increased calls to the hospital um increased mortality death and and uh heat related illness um So we know in 2015, I did a um, systematic review for the David Suzuki Foundation. And this was also in collaboration with Toronto Public Health and EcoHealth Ontario um, to look at that. So we were looking at what does the research tell us about um, the capacity of green space to cool, to provide cooling in the city. And so in general, we know that um, while trees are the best at it, you know, they're the king or empresses or however you want to put it of cooling the air. Um, Every type of green space that we looked at that was studied provided some level of cooling. Um, So if you're in a city setting where you don't have space for a tree, there are so many other options. I mean, there's the lovely green wall that you have here that I was welcomed when I came into uh, your office and the green walls and green roofs are really interesting. Um, because they can provide um, some amount of cooling, you know, to the city. But in general, the range is um, a reduction between 1 and 7 degrees uh, air temperature cooling um, in a city. And that doesn't sound like much, but we know, so for I'll just give you an example, in Toronto, Um, A study that was done showed that for every one degree increase in maximum temperature, there was a 29% increase in ambulance response calls for heat related illness. So that one degree is huge. Um, It can literally save lives. And so I really think that that's where we need to um, head. It's not there's a lot we need to do in terms of um, heat waves, but creating uh, green cities and spaces for people to get relief is really important, particularly when we're talking about um, people who may not be able to afford air conditioning, who um, may not live in the ideal housing circumstance. Having public spaces that provide that nearby and as much as possible is really important. Yeah, it can be a
0: game changer. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And just to circle back to, to the air pollution aspect that you mentioned before, um, again, what role do you think um, do green spaces, does nature in a city have uh, in terms of mitigating the effects of pollution and, and their effects on human health?
1: So for every 1% um, t- in temperature reduction from trees, uh, that's, it's estimated that would save 850 lives and also prevent 650,000 um, illnesses. So that's just a small 1%. Um, and we know that trees in particular Um, are really great for dealing with particulate matter and um, a lot of the pollution that comes from automobile exhaust. So for example, there's a first-of-its-kind study ever done where they uh, installed a line of birch trees uh, on the curbside in front of a house and they measured the particulate matter before uh, the trees were installed and then after. And they found that uh, the particulate matter in the house was reduced by half. So, uh, and like I said, that's a first of a kind study, but it goes to show you know the potential for something like this when you think about schoolyards, nurseries, uh, uh, daycares, um, hospitals. So a lot of these spaces that are in an urban setting, um, how important it is to have that landscape around those areas where you have you know children who are developing, you have people who are in hospital who are sick, um, and uh, the other interesting part is green roofs. Um, they in some cases, if it's a very narrow street canyon, sometimes trees actually hold the pollution in. Um, a lot of different reasons for that, but generally if the road is wide, it's a good candidate for, um, to put trees to reduce pollution. But what's interesting uh, is that green roofs around the streets actually funnel fresh air down into the canyon and can reduce air pollution from traffic uh, where the pedestrians are walking. So again, it just emphasizes from green roofs, to walls, to trees, there's, you know, really, there's huge health benefits for putting green spaces into every nook and cranny yeah, in absolutely. a city.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, what role do you think um, the horticultural professionals that, uh, that are planting these trees and uh, maintaining these, these plants and trees and spaces, what role do you think they have uh, when it in comes to improving health comes in our cities and our communities?
1: Yeah, well, the, the first one is to really start thinking them of themselves as health workers. You know, I, I have this talk that I give a lot about, you know, um, you know people that work in urban forestry and, and horticulture don't think of themselves as working in health. And so I sometimes feel like my job is to tell them that they absolutely do that, particularly in public health and preventive health care, having these green spaces, like I said, from ranging from, you know, your physical health, from your lung capacity, from to your mental health so you know people working in horticulture have so much to offer um, i think one of their challenges is to um, help to talk to the people that they serve to start reframing so, so feel confident about the health benefits that they're providing and start sharing that information because by doing so ideally this is my bias you know we can start moving away from looking at green spaces as um, Aesthetic ornamental sort of fringe, nice to have, but not crucial need to have, to places that contribute to health, even if they're small pocket spaces. So, you know, maybe we do less of the ornamental Japanese maple. I'm sorry, no prejudice against the Japanese maple, but we see a lot of those in the front, you know, front yard, and start thinking as as these front yards and backyards as these spaces for people to spend time. Um, and so I think there's a huge opportunity to share a lot of that health information and inspire whether or not you're working for the city or whether you're working for a school board or whether or not you're, you're working privately for someone at their home, that you're offering information, that there's a huge array of um, ways to set up a green space that can um, provide cooling can um, inspire people to want to gather together. You know, these outdoor learning classrooms, they're wonderful and, and kids use them. Even when they don't have a class, they will go if you, if you give them a place to sit in the trees, around the trees, they will go there. So to creating these inviting spaces, thinking about native species, you know, encouraging pollinator population. Um, so, you know, I would just hope that horticulturalists culturalists feel empowered about their role in providing health in the cities. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I think it's something that a lot of people in horticulture and landscaping already know intuitively. It's yeah. probably one of the reasons why they got into yeah. the profession is that love of nature, their love of plants, and their understanding of those benefits, and it's, it's really amazing to talk to you um, and to be able to, to look at the research that is backing that up, that, that feeling that we have as people in the industry. Um, And that we've probably always known and that we know as kids, as you say, kids are drawn to nature, they are more active in nature, it's this innate thing that we have and um, you know as urbanization continues we've sort of moved away from it and hopefully we can start to push the pendulum the other way and, and understand what we need to do to make our cities more livable and more healthy. And um, actually, that takes me to um, one of my last questions for you is, is about what is a green city? What does the ideal city look like for you? Uh, and what do you advocate for when you're when you're talking to policymakers and politicians and and people that really have a, an impact on 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 city planning and and so forth? What what's sort of your message and what, what would you hope to see?
1: Yeah, I have a lot to say, <laughs> but I'll try to keep it short. Um, number one is. When it comes to green spaces, we need to talk about equity. So, you know, there's sort of a uh, an expression that you know, if you want to know where the wealth is in a city, just follow the trees. You know, you can take aerial photos, uh, and you can see. And it just, it just, it's just the way the market works. If you can afford a big backyard with big trees, you will buy that. Um, but I think there's a responsibility as urban planners and uh, politicians to ensure that. Um, if anyone is living, let's say, in a high-rise building and less than ideal housing uh, conditions, then it's more important than ever that they have um, really uh, inspiring, not just adequate, but inspiring uh, play spaces, particularly for children, that provide all the benefits that we talked about today. Um, so that that is really important. Um, and even if you just... Even if you're not thinking about equity and you're just thinking about the health benefits for the city, as I was talking about these green connected spaces, you want an aerial, you know, photo of a city where you just see green distributed evenly everywhere. That, for me, that that's a sign of a healthy city, or at least one sign. Um, so, what I think is really important for making that happen, particularly for children, is. Um, Access to green space can happen in many different ways, but one of the easiest ways, from my perspective, is through daycares and schools and hospitals where uh, children spend a lot of time. People spend a lot of time. But if you want to ensure equitable access, there's so much potential to develop those spaces. Um, you know, I know in Toronto, the uh, the school board owns an immense amount of land. Um, some more inspiring than others and it's just a fabulous place. If that's where kids are going every day and spending their time, that's a fabulous place for an equitable approach to making sure that all kids have access, even if they're going home to a less than ideal circumstance, maybe they don't have a big backyard, that every day when they go to school, there's that um, opportunity. And I think, you know, we're seeing a shift with the outdoor classrooms. We're starting to get it, um, but I would love to see more. And I'd also love to see more on on hospital grounds, any public grounds. there's just a huge opportunity and a relatively inexpensive one compared to so many other things that um, you know, has to come out of the public purse. Um, maintaining and supplying uh, green spaces is relatively inexpensive and provides so much benefit to the people living in the city, but also to the sustainability of the city as a whole. So that's my message, yeah.
0: That's fantastic, Tara. I so appreciate you you coming. I know there's pro- we could probably talk for, for hours and, and maybe we can do that another time, but uh, I think we'll leave it there. And, and that was really fantastic, a, a great overview of some of the work you've been a part of. And some of the research that uh, that you've studied that, that, like I said, really reinforces these things that as horticultural professionals and landscapers, we, we really intuitively know. And it's fantastic to see the research really demonstrate it. So thank you so much. Thank
1: you for inviting me.